Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. Now, the, the passage in Acts chapter 2, if you want to go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up to that, Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look at one particular verse today to talk about a, a concept that I really want to come back to over and over again through the year. So open your Bibles up to Acts chapter 2. While you do that, uh, let me share with you a couple little statistics that I found. Uh, one, it, they got with people and studied and looked at how long people are willing to patiently and happily wait on certain things. In their studies, they found out that people are willing to wait without getting, uh, getting disturbed for 50 seconds in a car waiting on a, red, or waiting on a car that is not going in front of you at a green light. I, I know, Steve's like, that's five seconds at the most. That, across the board, without honking, people are willing to wait 50 seconds. So some of you maybe need to wait a little longer, Steve. Um, so, uh, we, uh, they're, they're, uh, another one was people are willing to wait one minute and 52 seconds for someone to quit talking during a movie before they start turning around and looking and getting upset. It's, I'm seeing like, nah, no. No, 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 no. People are willing to wait two minutes and 41 seconds for parents to quiet down a loud baby before reacting. They're willing to wait three minutes and 54 seconds on a late coworker. People are willing to wait 32 minutes at a doctor's office. And they're willing to wait 28 minutes at airport security. People are willing to wait 21 minutes on their significant other to get ready. And seven minutes in a line at Starbucks. People are willing to wait two minutes and 25 seconds for someone to stop talking so loudly on their cell phone without saying something. And they're willing to wait two minutes and six seconds on someone who's late for an interview. It's interesting to me to look at the differences and the reasons why people are willing to wait. And it seems to me that there's a pattern in there. People are willing to wait longer for something that they have either been conditioned to wait for, like a doctor's office. No one likes waiting 32 minutes at a doctor's office, but we've all been conditioned that when you go to the doctor, the odds are you're going to be waiting in the waiting room for quite a while. How many of you take books or something with you when you go to the doctor's office? You know you're going to wait. And so we're, we're conditioned to it. Or we're willing to wait for what we deem important. Now turn with me to Acts chapter 2. And I want to read verse 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The Christian, or the, the New American Standard Bible says it this way. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They continual, were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' doctrine, 
to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Let me read that again. The Christian standard Bible says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I want to spend some time this year breaking this down into very bite-sized and practical pieces as to what these four things are and how we, as God's people, should be devoted to them. What does this actually look like for us as individuals? What does this look like for us as a church? this change who we are in our daily practice? Would this change what we are as God's people? Because I'm convinced it very well might. It's very well could be the, the exact piece we need to really discover as we try to dig into what we are to be as God's people. And I think what it could do for us also is cause us to be so closely aligned to and identified with what the early church was that it will help us to grow both internally and grow numerically as God's people. So we're going to spend quite a bit of time this year talking about these ideas and this concept as we dig into uh, just how we can be more of what God intends us to be. So to do that, we first have to know what it means to be continually devoted, and that's what I want to talk about today. Uh, after this lesson, they will be about the apostles teaching, the fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. So what does it mean to be continually devoted? Look up the Greek. It's translated pretty much four different ways through different passages of Scripture. And we're not going to look all of these up. I encourage you to write them down and look them up for yourselves. Or I can. This will all be on the website tomorrow, so you can look it up. Uh, all these verses again tomorrow. But it means, in some places, the idea of give constant attention to a certain thing, to be constantly attentive to, and thinking about, and dwelling on, and giving all of your, your focus and mental energy to a particular thing. One of the best ways to ever see this in action is to look at little kids. Little kids have an incredible ability to be continually devoted to a thing. They will get into their head a certain idea or a certain want, and they will ask, my two-year-old daughter does this to me, Almost every day, she comes to me in the morning, Daddy, Dad, Dad, I need a vitamin. I need a vitamin. Dad, can I have a vitamin? We give them airborne vitamins, especially this time of year with everything going on in our world right now. And so she gets half of a chewable airborne vitamin, which to her is candy. And so she comes to me, Dad, I need a vitamin. Dad, Dad, I need a vitamin. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. It doesn't matter if what I'm doing is important or not important. It's not as important as getting her vitamin. And she will be continually devoted to making sure she gets the vitamin she believes she is due until she gets it. Continually devoted. She will give her constant attention to it. Much to my ire most mornings. Other places it means to adhere or to be to constant to one 
person or one thing, to give unremitting care to something. We do this a lot of times with ailing parents, do we not? You have a parent who's sick or a child who is sick, and so you will constantly go and you will check on the parent or you will check on the young child, and you you don't, as soon as, I've noticed this with my wife, I can tune out anything. But if one of our children are sick and one of our half coughs that, <laughs> my wife goes, boom, she's on it. Are you okay? Uh, if, if somebody has been sick around us and she hears a child sneeze, hey, who's sneezing? Who's sneezing? Do you need vitamins? What do you need? Well, I mean, it, it is unremitting care she provides for those children. Why does she provide unremitting care to those children? Because she's continually devoted to them. It means to wait on continually. That's the word here. When you read Acts chapter 2 verse 42, you could probably essentially substitute that phrase continually devoted with any of these phrases and you'd be accurately portraying what the Greek is trying to say. So if we go through here and we say the early Christians were giving constant attention to the apostles' doctrine and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. They were adhering to and being constant at the apostles' doctrine to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They gave unremitting care to the apostles' doctrine. They waited continually on receiving the apostles' doctrine to practicing fellowship to breaking bread together and to praying. That's the idea that we're given here. Well, how well do we do that? I want to do a little exercise with you. Uh, On your bulletin, hopefully most of you have one of those. If not, you might want to grab one or just grab a sheet of paper and pencil and do this activity with me. But what I want you to do is I want you to, on your bulletin, use the top circle on the right-hand page or just draw a circle for yourself on a piece of paper. And what we're going to do is we're going to use that circle in just a moment. Go ahead and draw yourself a circle or get ready to use the circle on the page. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to think of five different roles that you play in your life. They can be any roles. I I went down and I made a list of what would be possible options for me personally. I could put Christian, husband, father, son, friend, worker, real estate agent, provider, fixer, guitarist. I, I could put a lot of different roles or activities that I find myself involving, but I want you to choose five activities of your own or five roles, hats you wear of your own, and I want you to write them out real quick. Just write them there on your page. What five roles do you want to think about today? I know you could probably put 15 different things down, but I want you to put five down. Okay, I'll give you just a moment to do that. Five roles that you play. The hardest thing to do as a public speaker is to stand up here in silence. It just feels so very awkward. But I want to give you a moment to do this. Five roles 
you play. Okay. Don't see many, many people scribbling anymore. Okay. Now I want you to make a pie chart in that circle on, and kind of give each one of those roles a piece of your pie, of your life's pie on how, how much importance they have. Okay, so if, if I, one of my roles was husband, I might say that that has 20, I'm 70% importance in my life. Uh, yeah, I, 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 give, I give it a certain piece of my pie. Go ahead and pick, take those five roles and give them their appropriate sections of your pie. impressed how many of you are doing this in your head. I see several of you, actually, and I don't mean that facetiously. I see several of you going, kind of piecing it out in your head. Divide your pie up. How much importance does it have in your life? Hard to make these decisions, isn't it? Hopefully most of you are just about done now. Now there's another circle and another line on your page. And we're going to do the same thing, but divide your pie up based on time. Those same five roles and divide them up in time. How much time do you devote in your life to each one of those roles? So again, my husband, part of my pie might be 50%. But because of other obligations and things that I'm involved in, I might really only be able to give 15% of my time to the role of being a husband. And what I want you to see here is the discrepancy or, or the differences between what we value most and what we actually spend the most time on. My guess is most of us have pies that don't match. We have pies that are very different than each other. And again, I don't say that in any way to shame anybody. There's a lot of ways in which that is uncontrollable. You're going to spend more time as an employee than probably what you would give to it in the importance piece of your pie because it just, you are obligated to spend 40 hours or 50 hours a week as an employee, even though it's probably not 40 or 50% of your pie. Okay, Uh, so sometimes it's just it's out of our control, but it is something that I think is good for us to look at and to see, am I giving the important things in my life enough of my time? I continually devoting myself and giving unremitting care to the important parts of my life the same way I do probably the least important parts of my life. For most of us, the answer is no. For most of us, we give as much time as we can, hopefully. For some of us, we might even be in the camp of, we know being a Christian is important. But we give so little time to it. Because we're so busy doing other things. We're busy following after 
children. We're busy in school. We're busy in work. We're busy with hobbies. We're busy watching TV and shutting down at night. We're busy on projects. We're busy on this, that, and the other. And it's so easy to hide what is supposed to be most important for what is most urgent. And that's where we really struggle sometimes. That's one of the things I love about the story of the early church is that you have thousands of people who have just recently become Christians and they have put everything aside for the sake of their new faith. Many of these new Christians were from out of town. They didn't even have jobs locally, but they were willing to stay in town and learn from the apostles the doctrine they needed to know to be faithful to God because that's the only place they could learn it. And so they put everything else aside. All of the urgent went to the wayside for the sake of pursuing the important. And I wonder sometimes what that would look like for you and me. What would it look like for you and me if we were able or even willing to put aside all of the urgent for the sake of the important, to pursue what it is that we know we should really be focused on? To what are we devoted you know, that's a hard question to answer because we do live in a world that is so full of distraction. Honestly, we live in a world that is full of entertainment. We were talking about that on the way to church today with our kids, talking about the different, you know, why we watch certain things and not watch certain things. And uh, my wife and I have decided that we're going to quit watching TV predominantly this year. Just because there are so many other important things we could be doing with that 30-minute or three-hour binge-watching session that we hit in the evening because we're tired. There are things we could be doing instead of entertaining ourselves. Because we do live in a culture and a society that values entertainment almost above any other thing. We will go to work and do our nine to five and we will come home and eat our supper and then we will sit down and entertain ourselves for hour after hour after hour. All you got to do is look up the statistics on how much TV people watch these days, how much money they spend every single month on the sports packages and movie packages and the TV cable packages and everything else that they have as a part. And then as if that entertainment wasn't enough, people spend most of their time in front of the TV while also scrolling their phone because the TV wasn't enough. I'm probably describing some of us. And I'm not saying that's sinful. I am saying it's distracting. It's me focused instead of being focused on the important things. We tend to get... Uh, live in a world full of quick fixes and quick answers. This is why I think Bible study has tanked in our culture. You know why? Because if I want to know the answer to a Bible question, I just Google it. I don't need to study it. I don't need to know it. I don't need to have a, a grasp of how it all works together. If I've got a question, I just Google it. I can't do that with any topic anymore. 
People don't know anything anymore. We live in a world full of shallowness, shallowness, to be honest. It's just, there's not a lot of depth with people anymore. And so how do we know that to which we are devoted? Well, you've got to figure out and look at yourself honestly in order to know what it is that actually takes a role in your life. And one of the ways to do that is that gauge of time we just talked about. What is it? Ecclesiastes chapter 3, that famous passage, talks about that there is a season for everything. There is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to, ki- or, uh, a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to... A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing. A time to search and a time to count as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Turn with me over to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. Here we're told, verse 12, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. I love that. Teach us to number our days carefully. Let me ask you, and this again, these are the kind of rhetorical questions we ask all the time to try to put life in perspective. What if you knew your last day to live is this coming Friday. What if you knew, without any doubt, you were, you, you were received a message from God. God said, your time is up on Friday. Friday at 6 p.m., you will die. What would you do this week? What would you spend your time doing? Because I can guarantee you your first activity would not be, I have so much stuff saved on my DVR, I need to get through it. None of us would do that. None of us would say, I can't die without knowing what the season finale was. None of us would turn to entertainment. We would all turn to depths and relationships. We would go to those people we love and say the things that we know we need to say. We would devote ourselves more strongly to God for the week. I guarantee it. So why don't we live that way? There's that famous song, Live Like You Are Dying. There's a lot of wisdom in that. And that's exactly what the psalmist is saying here. This is Moses himself saying, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may walk or develop wisdom. There is a wisdom that comes from realizing how I use my time makes a difference. That exercise, I hope, pointed out to you that maybe there are some discrepancies between what you know is important and what you act like is important. Maybe we should change the way we act. Maybe another good gauge is our finances. We just spent four lessons on 
not going to spend a lot of time here, but I mean, there is Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let me tell you, it would be a purposefully, perfectly legitimate judgment call for me to look at your bank account to know exactly what's important to you and what's not. That's biblical. And so when I look at you, if you were to take your finances and divide it up into a pie chart and show I spent this much on a mortgage... I spent this much on credit card payment, and I spent this much on car payment, and I spent this much on food, and I spent this much on entertainment, and I spent this much on who knows what else. You don't know exactly what's most important to you. Because I tell you right now, you don't spend money on what you don't care about. It's just not what we do. We don't spend money on the things that don't matter to us. We spend money on the things that, that we find to be important. So maybe that's a good gauge for us to think about as we look at what we're devoted to. Maybe another one would be a gauge of whether we're excited about things or not. I, 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 how do you feel? How do you feel about things? help if I put my battery in the correct way. Actually, it would help if I didn't throw the thing in the first place. But then when you do throw it, you need to make sure that you put your battery in the right place. What excites you? What gets you excited? I, I, I'll admit 100% this is a, a dangerous gauge because there are just some things that are more exciting than other things. There are some things where we are culturally expected to get excited, and there are other things where we are expected to stay somewhat serious and, and reflective, which does not tend to lead to a lot of excitement. And even we're told that it is better to go to a house of mourning than it is to go to a house of partying or a house of praise. And the reason for that is one provides perspective and one is just a good time. But I tell you, let me ask it this way. How excited are you about heaven? How excited are you about the, the house of praise that we get to go spend eternity in? Because I, I tell you, one thing I have learned this year, I thought all Christians were heaven and I have found that many Christians are scared of it they're scared of death they're scared of dying they're scared of uh, of, of the potential ramifications of a disease and I, I've always known that to be true when we talk about the C word right uh, cancer <gasps> we get so scared about cancer because it could kill us great if you've got heaven to look forward to why is that not an exciting possibility and I think because I don't know that we've really let heaven be as important to us as it should be I'm scared that maybe sometimes we've gotten our, our, our lines crossed our, our that, that we're not thinking correctly about this world and about our lives. We are not 
meant for here. We are meant to be in the presence of God. Elaine and I were talking about this Wednesday night that we need to have a, a series of lessons, and, and I plan to do it, on how can we know we are saved. Maybe that's the fear, that we're, we're not as confident in our salvation, we're not as confident in the judgment of God as we should be. Well, then we need to fix that so that we can again be excited about heaven. Because to me, it's a huge gauge of whether we're continually devoted to something or not. The opposite side of that would be uh, fear or other feelings that we deal with. You know, there, the truth is, we, we talked about this in, in class today, Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things. You know, feelings are a hard gauge to gauge anything on because they wax and they wane. They come and they go. Uh, what I'm excited about today might not be what I'm excited about next week. And I, I completely get that. Or what I'm fearful of today might not be what I'm fearful of next week. But I, I will tell you, what you're scared of is often a great of what is most important to you. And I love the way Paul tells it to Timothy. Turn with me over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul is staring death in the face when he writes this. This is the last letter we have of Paul's as far as we can tell in the way that we date these letters. It is the last letter and correspondence that we know that Paul had with Timothy for sure. And he starts this book off here in verse 7. First, Second Timothy 1 verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. I tell you, when we live in fear, we lose sound judgment. We lose the ability to think clearly about truth. The truth is, this shell of a body that I have is not what is most important. The life that I have here, the home that I have, the job that I hold, the, the possessions that I enjoy, none of that is what's important. What is important should be always the serving of God, the bringing glory to his name. And anything that takes the place of that has become an idol. Why I love the story of Acts chapter 2. You've got those Christians that just left it all behind for the sake of being continually devoted to what really mattered. And the reason you know they were continually devoted is because you see their devotion. You see it in the way that they gave themselves to what it was they were doing. They left jobs behind, left family behind, they left reputation behind, they left possessions behind, they left it all for the sake of pursuing the glory of God. And that is the true indication that they absolutely were unremittingly caring for what it is God had put in front of them. 
They made public pronouncements of their belief and they acted on that belief with baptism and then they gave themselves every single day to the hearing of the word and to practicing fellowship together and to breaking bread together, eating meals together and, and praying constantly. If there's one thing you see repeated more than any other thing through the book of Acts, it's that the Christians prayed together. Should be us. Look with me in Acts chapter 2 again in verse 47. Excuse me, verse 43. I want to read 43 down through the end of the chapter. Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were coming together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to the meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Isn't that beautiful? That's what continually to something looks like. And in case that weren't clear, in case you think that's a biased response, I'm going to read from you from the book that Ron was looking at or read to us from on Wednesday night during his, his talk. The work of an unknown author written in about 130 A.D. describes Christians to the Romans as follows. They dwell in their own countries simply as sojourners. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws, and at the same time, they surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men, but are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death, but will be restored. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They possess few things, yet they abound in all. They are honored, but they are very, in their very dishonor are glorified. And those who hate them are unable to give any reason for their hatred. Another Roman author who's actually an a antagonist toward Christianity, and you'll see this in the way he writes. But listen to this reading. Talking about they despise the temples as houses of the dead. They reject the gods. They laugh at sacred things. Wretched, they are priests. Half naked themselves, they despise honors and purple robes. What incredible audacity and foolishness. They are not afraid to present torment or of present torment, but they fear those who are uncertain. Uh, excuse me, let me start that again. They are not afraid of present torment, but they fear those that are uncertain future. While they do not fear to die for the present, they fear to die after death. At least present situation, you wretched people, what actually awaits you after death. See, many of you, in fact, by your own admission, the majority of you are in want, you are cold, you are hungry, and are laboring work, yet your God allows it. He is either unwilling or unable to assist his people. 
he is either weak or unjust. Take notice. For you, there are threats, punishment, tortures, and crosses. Where is the God who is supposed to help you when you come back dead? He cannot even help you in this life. Do not the Romans, without any help from your God, govern, rule over, and have the enjoyment of the whole world, including dominion over you ourselves? In the meantime, you live in suspense and anxiety, and you abstain from respectable pleasure. You do not attend sporting events. You have no interest in public amusement. You reject the public banquets and the sacred game. Thus, wretched as you are, you will neither rise from the dead nor enjoy life in the meanwhile. So if you have any wisdom or sense, stop prying into the heavens and the destinies and secrets of the world. Persons who are unable to understand civil matters are certainly unable to discuss divine ones. Now, I love that because you know that's not a friend to the Christians. But what does he understand about those Christians? That they are undeniably devoted to their faith. What would people say about us? That's what an outsider said about Christians in the early church. What would they say about us? What would they say if, if you were to ask your neighbor, and I encourage you to do this, go ask a neighbor, a coworker, somebody who, who doesn't necessarily have a reason to please you, ask him three questions. Number one, what would you say is most important to me? Number two, what, would you, what do you think I do more than anything else? And number three, how has being a Christian changed me and made me different than everyone else in the world? I wonder what people would say in answer to those questions. Would they really see us as being remarkably different? Would they see us as being devoted to morality? Devoted to something bigger than the world around us? What would people say? I'll step on my own toes to say I'm pretty much confident people couldn't say about me what that Roman antagonist said about the early Christians. And that's not good. I'm not saying go do this in order to find some sort of self-satisfaction. Go ask somebody who knows you're a Christian, knows that you're devoted to being a Christian and and going to give you answers that you want to hear. I I genuinely would, would urge you Ask somebody who is around you but doesn't truly know you. Know what you want them to say. Ask them. What is it they would say is most important to you? What is it that they would say you give yourself to more than any other thing? And I'll be honest, if you're like me, you're a little scared to ask that question of people. The last gauge of devotion is our willingness to change. It's a new year, 2021. How many people enjoyed flipping that calendar page over 
hanging up the new calendar on the wall. It's nice to be done with what we just got through, isn't it? But let me tell you, the goal is not to get back to the end of 2019 or the beginning of 2020. I hope your goal is to take 2021 and grow and change and develop and to find yourself more devoted to to God's ideals than you've ever been devoted before. If you're not willing to change who you are, to be more of what God intends you to be, then you are not devoted to God's church and God's gospel. But if you no better time than the present, right? And so I would encourage us as a church and us as individuals, us in our relationships, to let this be a year of growth. Let this be a year where we find ourselves devoted to what God would truly have us be devoted to. Make this your year to grow in devotion. And we're going to this year talk about what does it mean to be devoted to the apostles' doctrine. And what does it mean for us to be devoted to fellowship and what that looks like. And what does it mean to be devoted to the breaking of bread. What does it mean to be devoted to prayer. How do we do that as individuals on a daily basis? How do we do that as a church together where we commune together in those ways? I tell you, all of it's going to mean nothing if if our approach to it from the very beginning is, we're good. We're as good as we're going to get. It'll do us no good if, if we think, okay, well, you know, we don't need to make any changes. We, we've done everything right so far, and we'll just keep doing everything we've always been doing because that, that'll get us where we want to get to. Uh, those are the words of, of someone dying or the words of a dying church. The whole essence of Christianity that you see from the very beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2 is a willingness and a desire and a devotion to change. Changing to be what more of what God intends us to be. And I hope you'll be devoted to that with me this year. If you're not a child of God, that's the first change you need to make. What you need to do is decide He's worth it. He's right. That he is the one in control. That he is the one who is truly able to to take us where we need to get to. He's the one who can get you to heaven. And I guarantee you, without him, you won't get there. So I encourage you to let that be the very first change you make if you're not a Christian, that you will become a child of God, that you will have your sins washed away in baptism, that you'll let God take over and be in control. For many of us who are Christians, it it is so easy to just get into the motion, do all the right stuff, but not really be devoted to anything. And I encourage you, if that's, your, if that's the case with you, let us pray for you. Let us help you. 
maybe that's the case for more of us than we want to admit, and we should just say a prayer over the whole group. But I want this to be a year where we change and grow in our devotion to the Lord because we have the opportunity to do great things for God if we'll just devote ourselves to it. If you need the invitation to get your life right, please let us know how we can help you as we stand and sing this song. Thanks for listening and studying God's Word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation, or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's Word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.